Welcome to the Rolling Stone Studs, a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion, hosted by your own bad boys. It's Pete. And it's PJ. And this is a Beach Boys Boys production. Perfect. Every time. So great. Did it freak you out at all there that I took a, a beat longer than usual to come in? You know, I was thinking uh, that with, with 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 the Beach Boys boys, I pretty quickly learned the intro. Um, sure. And this one, I don't think if I tried to jump in, I could do it. I just... <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I will say I read it every time, although I think I read the Beach Boys one every single time, just because no matter how many, how well I know it, there's going to be one time that I freeze up on mic and you'll have to restart the podcast and it'll just be embarrassing for all involved. Oh, truly, truly embarrassing. Um, my, I don't, I think I'm just like focused on the levels during when you're talking about it. Sure. Um, and so I just can't. You're on the ones and twos. Exactly. I'm on the ones and twos, got the cans on. We're getting Mm -hmm. ready up in the studio. Yeah. You're, you know, you're just freestyling the mix, as they say, because that's really the way to do it on the Rolling Stone studs. You're also making sure you drop down my voice so it's right in the mix. Little yeah. little pre-reference to the album we're listening to today. Yeah. See how I did that? I do. I like that. <laughs> I like the little bit of uh, call forward where we, we've That's been right. working in lately. The we're getting better forward. at this whole podcasting thing two and a half years in. That's right. Is that a is that like a key part of podcasting is referencing things that are to come? I guess it probably is. Have you ever listened to Serial Pete? Oh, that's true. They're always dropping cliffhangers at the end, like Adnan then got a phone call, boom, 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 and then they go to commercial, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and my favorite thing about True Crime Podcasts is they'll talk about these horrendous murders, and then in the middle of it, it'll be like, MailChimp, for your mailing needs. Like, Yeah, that's right. My favorite thing about all podcast ads is that when I listen to them, I go, what the fuck? I don't give it. I don't give one shit. And I skip through it. And then three years later, I'm like, hey, I need an easy to rent suit for a wedding. What was that one site that everyone talked about for like on every podcast I listened to five years ago where you can do that and then do some Googling and find it. And you're like, boy, I wish I still had those promo codes. Yeah, I I did that when buying headphones recently. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, man, I just really need one of them sweet, sweet promo codes. Yeah, but you know what I did instead, Peter? Instead of searching back through thousands and thousands of podcasts, I loaded, I downloaded the browser extension Honey. Honey ah, saves yeah. you money automatically. <laughs> That's okay. Are we? Oh, we have ours for a sponsor. Oh no, I just really like it. Oh, okay, yeah, I think people know we are virulently anti-advertising on this oh, show. Fully. We're we are pro hobbyist in every sense of the word. We do it's, not, not only do we not want to be paid for our time, we want to just be spending our own money on this Exactly. Yeah. It, it's like those nerds who get really into ham radio, but we matter. That's right. Except, yeah, we actually broadcast out to the whole world instead of just other people with ham radios. Yeah, like one other person on the top of a mountain, you know? Yeah. Ham radio, I'm sure, is already a podcast, but it'd be pretty good. You just talk about, yeah. talk about pigs the whole time. Yeah. Oh, I, I was... Yeah, I was thinking you were doing the actual acronym for ham radio, which is hard as a motherfucker radio. 
Oh, or that, honestly. I think there's a yeah. lot of ways to go with it. Like ham radio, you could do one of those podcasts where every episode is about a different thing that ham is. You yeah, know, like that, you could do an yeah. episode on Spider-Ham, the pig version of Spider-Man. Or you From could do an episode the on Simpsons movie. John Ham's John Ham, the ham toilet paper SNL skit with John Ham. Or uh, Ham's beer. Talk yes. about that little bear fella. That's right. Or you could get a little crazy, like once you've run out of hams, you could do Heim, the band that we had oh, talked yeah. about previously on the show. <laughs> that's true. We did talk about that once. Yeah. You could also, let's see, you could talk about Hamilton, and that's three episodes. That's a president, the $20 bill, and the show, Hamilton. Exactly. So you got a lot of ways to go there. Not president. Alexander Hamilton was not president. Uh, and is he on the 10? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton's on the 10. I was thinking Jackson for the first two of those hamilton the famous founding father the ten dollar bill is a separate episode and then the show i would out. love if somebody did two entire episodes of a podcast talking about <laughs> the very famous president alexander hamilton yeah and then uh talked about how great mm-hmm. his twenty dollar bill is i think what confused me in my head is that harriet tubman isn't she supposed to replace hamilton on the 10 or is she's it replacing Jackson, Jackson on the 20? On the That's what confused home. me. Yeah. But yeah. then that whole conversation, I feel like, happened when Hamilton came out, weirdly. Like, that was... Hmm. Those events are paired in my mind for some reason or another. See, I don't know why so. you would want to give it... Take the 20 away from a phenomenal American president who, yeah. you know, just took away so many Native American rights and give it to some lady who was never president? I just yeah. don't. I mean, for all of Andrew Jackson's faults, and I guess I apologize, I'm pretty sure this is accurate, but it's been a long time since I took early American U.S. history, or early American, yeah, U.S. history. <laughs> That's, yeah, you, you can it. double up on American and U.S. there. Yeah. Uh, since I've taken early American history. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was the president who, whose inauguration was he, his whole thing was that he was like a man of the people. So his inauguration was, they just threw open the gates and the doors to the white house and let anybody show up. And it just like immediately was a bunch of rednecks tearing the place apart. Yeah. Which Uh, is pretty fantastic. Maybe literally the only good thing he probably did as president. (laughs) He also had a cool nickname old hickory true andrew jackson jihad oh yeah we should start a band about andrew jackson jihad um a band that neither of us particularly enjoy i wouldn't even say i could name a song but i know everything i've heard i don't like here's the thing (laughs) i've been to two concerts yeah uh also could not name a song probably yeah i just don't care for them yeah they seem like a band that would name a song after their band name like they would have a song called andrew jackson jihad on an album also called andrew jackson jihad (laughs) yeah um the only good band to do that where it's a song band name album combo is bad company by bad company on bad company yeah i actually don't know off the top of my head that i know any bands that like i listen to that have a band titled song if that makes sense we're our name is led zeppelin and we're here to say yeah we like to party in a major way i'm really trying to think i don't know like i really 
don't know that I do. It's kind of a weird thing to do that I, I feel like people reference being a thing a lot, but I have never actually run into. Hmm. So. I mean, Bob Dylan has the song Bob Dylan Blues. Oh, yeah? But that's not really like after a band name. I mean, that's all his songs. He just didn't come up with a weird esoteric title. Yeah. He just named it the working title of every other song by Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, hey, PJ, speaking of bands and albums, I actually, I did a little thinking this week. Yeah, Pete, what did you think about? We're at the tail end at this point of the Rolling Stones, quote unquote, great run of albums. Uh, We have, today we're talking about either the last or second to last one, depending on whom you talk to, I believe. And that's accurate. I, I, for the sake of this argument, we'll go ahead and say this is the last one because I feel like when I've been reading books, reading forums, reading online, most rock critics and fans tend to refer to the Rolling Stones four album run of, you know, whatever, perfect albums, right. starting with Beggar's Banquet and ending with Exile on Main Street. And after seeing quite a few references to it being the greatest four album run in rock history which I guess I can't really, I mean, I I won't say that that's like a definitive thing people think, but it seems like a common opinion at the very least. It's certainly not unheard of. Yeah. It made me think, are there other great four album runs in rock history that I think might equal or be better? Uh, Because at this point, I think as our listeners know, at least thus far, I, I personally would not say that this is at all a greatest four album run in rock history so far. Say the first two were the first two were fine. The third one was pretty good, and we'll see how the fourth one goes. So, um, I would, as a fan of this band, I would also say it's not the best four run, yeah, um, rock albums. I would say Led Zeppelin one through four, yeah, pretty good. That's interesting. I thought long and hard because I am a a big Led Zeppelin fan. I also put down a four album run, but I put down Led Zeppelin three, Houses of the Holy, or Led Zeppelin three, Led Zeppelin four, Houses of the Holy, and Physical Graffiti, Physical Graffiti. as a better four album run. See, because that... Houses of the Holy and and Physical Graffiti, I think, are better than Led Zeppelin one and two. I think that's controversial. I would I would maybe agree with you on that with a little bit of prodding, but. I think a lot of people hate yeah. Physical Graffiti, and I love that album. That's crazy. I mean, it's definitely less consistent as almost any double album is, but yeah. the highs on Physical Graffiti are as good as Led Zeppelin ever is, I would say. Yeah. Like, the best songs on that album are the best that Led Zeppelin is, also, aside from maybe Led Zeppelin 4, you know, it's, has the high, other highest good. highs. So, um, I would say, I mean, Houses of the Holy is a fucking good album house of the holy is incredible like if you're gonna argue earlier albums i would just say two through house two of the through house of, yeah. you're probably right yeah but i actually don't i don't particularly love led zeppelin two. uh one is pretty good but is also i don't think like that amazing but really three four and then their fifth and sixth ones are are where i get where i get going with them you know, I might I might have to agree with you on that. Um, three through uh, three through physical graffiti, yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm just I came up to... with a 
a couple of others, but I would say it's arguable whether they count as like great rock bands in history. So, yeah, rock is the is the thing that gets me there because I could think of yeah. better four album runs for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, the the rock is the caveat. Yeah, I would say they're both in the rock camp, but with genre slash rock. You know, mm-hmm. I would say the only four Velvet Underground albums are a perfect, like a pretty much perfect four album run. Um, with only, in my opinion, the first one being at all. Uh, meh album and even that i would say is like at least half it's a pretty good fucking album yeah it is it is and it's like at the very least influence in uh in in its influence it's a great album even if i don't love all the songs but then their second third and fourth albums are all pretty perfect to my mind if we can do rock slash something yeah i would say highway 61 through nashville skyline Mm. For Bob yes. Dylan, that's Dylan, an amazing sure. four run out. Like, Nay, as fill me in on what are the other two albums there? So that would be starting with Highway sixty one, which is mm-hmm. an inc- a great maybe album. the perfect yeah. album, and then Blonde on Blonde, album. which mm-hmm. is also mm-hmm. a really fucking good album, and then John Wesley Harding, which mm-hmm. is probably yes. the lowest one, but very good still. Still, and then well, well revered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one, actually. Yeah. Um. And then my other, I would say maybe personal, I'm a little, I don't quite know what the wider world feels about this, but I would say the last four, until their comeback in the 2000s or whatever, I would say the last four Steely Dan albums are pretty much all four perfect albums. Well, Peter, as as fans <laughs> of the podcast know, you are a cool uncle, so yes. it makes sense that you would say that. Um, I love the Dan, man. You do love the Dan man. Uh, I don't know enough about Steely Dan to uh, really. I mean, I like Steely Dan. I like everything I've yeah. heard. I don't think I could name that four album run. <laughs> Katie lied. Uh, the other one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. Asia. No. Now I'm I'm feeling like an idiot because the one I can't think of is my favorite one out of them. I would say. Um. I've been eating cheese and crackers this whole time. Yeah, I know. Thanks thanks for meeting. It's all good. Okay. Katie Lied, The Royal Scam, uh, which is probably the least like known out of them, but it might be my favorite out of all those. I've never And then Asia. The band? By far, yeah. Asia, by far their like most famous, best known album. And then Gaucho is the last one there. Gaucho is a familiar one. Yeah. So I'm, um, I mean, I know you just said like, you know, some Steely Dan, but PJ, I honestly would maybe think you would love Steely Dan. Like I'm a little surprised you're not more into Steely Dan because I do think they're good. Yeah. They, to me, I didn't really listen to them until a couple years ago. And now they are probably my favorite, like classic rock band along with the Beach Boys. Well, Peter, let me ask you this question. Are you reeling in the years? Yes, I am. Okay. One by one, I'm reeling them in. Um, I would. Okay, so another. Oh, skunk! Now he's a trumper. That's their original guitarist was Jeff Skunk Baxter, and now he's a 
a guy who visits Trump at the White House. Or well, did anymore. back when that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And will uh, again my favorite in 2024. Tri- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can only pray and hope. Uh, my favorite people who uh, visited Trump at the White House was the trifecta of Ted Nugent, Kid Rock, and mm-hmm. that lady who I forget who it was. Pamela hmm. Anderson? Sure, know. why not? Let's Home see, Improvement's Kid- own. It is so funny that that's how she got her start. I mean, as an actor or as a model? As an actor. That was okay. her. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel role. like I thought she was a model before that, and then oh. that was her first acting gig. It was not Pamela Anderson. It was Sarah Palin. <laughs> so similar. Just yeah. The, such a similar Practice. person. Well, you know, Sarah me, Palin only... most likely has Playboy photos from the early 90s out there somewhere. So. Yeah. See, I am the most familiar with Sarah Palin from the feature film Nailin Palin. So, I forgot about that one. That's uh, that's worth a look up later, probably. <laughs> just to you know, so. just to blast from the a little nostalgia. Exactly. Yeah. Look it up with Every- the old fiance and sit down for a movie night with some popcorn <laughs> and just enjoy. You know. Hopefully, hopefully your fingers aren't too buttery, Pete. Okay. Um. So I would back to the album thing. Yeah. You said personally, you think Steely Dan, and that might not be. You know, maybe the most popular opinion. I yeah, would... I accept that their genre is far enough away from the Stones for that not to be in the same kind of argument. So I would I would stick yeah. with Led Zeppelin if you're just going head to head rock bands. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's fair. Um, what about if you're excluding rock? What would you say? I have excluding one excluding right... rock completely. I don't yeah. know that I have like enough like classic album kind of knowledge outside of classic like i'm into a lot of other classic music but less i don't know like less full album stuff outside of like album oriented rock from the 70s and 80s and stuff what what's it sounds like you have something in in your in mind immediately when you said that and then you add the the caveat of uh rock music onto it i was like oh never mind but i am and I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. I'm a huge Josh Ritter fan. Hmm. If you don't know him, yeah. he's like this folk rock musician. Um, I think he is maybe the best songwriter since Bob Dylan. Um, wow. And a, a four-album run that I think it's four 10 out of 10s is Historical Conquest of Josh Ritter, So Runs Away the World, The Beast in Its Tracks, and then Sermon on the Rocks. I think those are four yeah. damn near perfect albums. Interesting. Nice. When, what kind of time period? Is that all fairly recent that those uh, all that was, came out? Uh, Historical Conquest came out in 2007. Okay. And then Sermon on the Rocks came out 2015. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if we're going newer albums, I wonder if that changes anything. I don't know that it does for me. Like most newer bands or artists that I'm into have a lot of really good stuff, but I wouldn't say it's like enough where it's, you know, four great albums in a row kind of thing. Or necessarily album-based music. Or that, yeah. I mean, we could probably get into a Kanye West discussion, but do we want to? Um, The first four are amazing. Yes, I probably, I mean... Wait, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. 
college dropout, graduation. No, college dropout, late registration, graduation. Yes, thank you. And then Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Then yes. And I, those four really those, fucking good albums. Those probably take it in terms of hip hop only because Kendrick Lamar hasn't come out with a fourth album yet. Yeah. <laughs> and once he does, although if you throw Untitled Unmastered in there, which I would say is arguable, then he does, I think, have a perfect four albums. But Peter, that that's is a kind of demos and beat. Yeah, that's kind of B sides. Yeah. yeah. So, but if you wanted to do that, I wouldn't really argue because he's pretty much the 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 greatest who's who's ever done it probably yeah um i was I'm listening looking, to man. pimp a butterfly the other day and like it's yeah. been a few years since i've listened to it and it's a good album it's it's so incredible hmm hmm yeah, I just feel like every newer artist that I really, really love either doesn't have enough albums out, like they only have like two or three albums out, mm-hmm. or they just aren't consistent enough, kind of. Like I, this is going to be, I feel like this episode might be eye-opening for all our listeners to what kind of music we're like really more into than the Rolling Stones or the Beach Boys, but mm-hmm. like I would say two of my Chemical Romances albums are like some of the greatest rock of the 2000s yeah but i don't not only, think not only does this shock our listeners i <laughs> did not know you, really? this about you oh yeah, yeah. B- black parade is like is the best rock album of the 2000s much better than any green day shit that ever came out well i fucking hate green day but i also don't like my chemical romance interesting i really love black parade and it's got like frankie arrow and the other guy whose name i don't remember but their two guitarists yeah. are unreal good and like yeah i mean it is, i will it say is a perfect rock album and then the, i would danger days is also very very good the the best song from like the early 2000s is probably teenagers that song yeah that's is a awesome. good one um i do have a little story about my chemical romance please uh and how i just my relationship with them so when i was a yeah. young boy my father mm-hmm. took me into the city to join the black parade yeah this sounds right yeah i feel like this is familiar but keep going if i could i would pete (laughs) oh okay yeah i mean there's not much more than that i should give that album a listen again actually it's been a couple years but i i would i think it holds up some people who are more into prince might be able to come up with four consecutive prince albums that are amazing but i'm not quite enough into him to have that knowledge i've never been a huge prince fan I love what I have, but I only have like three or four albums that are not. Well, maybe they are all in a row because I have 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day, and then um, the other one that, but I don't think it was the next one after Around the World in a Day. Yeah, because then after that he did parade which i don't know anything about but then sign of the times is the other one that's supposed to be amazing that comes one after well um how can so like that maybe because i don't know i don't know enough to know if parade's good and i think around the world in a day isn't supposed to not be good but i really like it so i don't know uh well i mean if the batman soundtrack was made any time in there then (laughs) you got i think a little i think slightly later yeah yeah 
I've never just I've never been a huge Prince fan. Yeah, I've never I've gotten into him before, but like like I just said, like I really only got into like an album at a time over a few years and and have mm-hmm. never been able to go truly do like a really deep dive on him. Um yeah, aside from what we've mentioned, I don't think I'm turning up anything that I any like more recent bands that I think have those kinds of that kind of sustained full album excellence. Well, and I mean, if you if you had to put the Beatles on this list, what oh. Beatles? Well, they'd be the top and it would be um Revolver through the end, right? Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, White Album, Abbey Road. I guess not through the end, technically. Yeah, well, because Yellow Submarine and Magical Mystery Tour are in there. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I like, I know that they're real albums. I do, but I kind of don't count those in my head. Like, as, like, those are more just like. If we're not counting Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine. Yeah. Then absolutely. Those four, yeah. Sgt. Pepper. But if those, if you count White those, album, then they don't Abby have technically be. four perfect ones in a row because yeah that other however crap came out in between yeah if, if we're counting those four they they've taken it to yeah. me they've taken it yeah man i feel like the right person could make an argument about you two as well but i don't like them i like them a lot but i don't find them consistent enough to think that they have say four next? good albums in a row oh I forgot that every fish album is the best album in the world, you fucking hippie. Hey man, wait until later. Fish is gonna come up a lot today. Just so you know. Um You love the dulcet tones of Trey Anastasio. <laughs> yes I do. Yes, I do. And others. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got that list and then whatever we talked about kanye and i feel like we mentioned maybe one other led zeppelin artist yeah but the led zeppelin the steely dan the velvet underground and kanye at least just going through my itunes like that's the only four in a row albums that i have that i would consider to be like a perfect or close to perfect four in a row yeah i mean i think i i had something with that bob dylan thing yes oh yeah for sure yeah i i would I'm I I'm I mean I'm agreeing based on trusting your opinion and trusting like the world's opinion on Bob Dylan even though I've only actually listened to like a couple of those albums but mm. I believe that it could be true cuz he's amazing. Uh, truly. Well, that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Great. I love I love talking music. That's I mean this whole show is just an excuse for us to talk about music in a structured manner but I'm such a nerd that is a a like thought exercise that I could do one of those every week. So yeah, I mean it, it's like how much we nerd out on the like order of our albums when we make a perfect album for a band. Yeah, it like for sure. It it makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like, it's so yeah. much fun talking talking tunes, PJ. Talking tunes. We gotta well, get we well that should that be a new segment? Talking tunes. We'll get a probably. theme song. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have any? Do the Stones have any songs about cartoons? Probably they have that one about watching TV. Which one? The one about watching TV off Aftermath. Well, PJ, do you want to start talking about the Rolling Stones? 
I would love is this nothing too cra- more. Is this crazy? Okay. I, I think Stop we- me if I sound insane. Should we be bad? Should we talk about the Rolling Stones? Hey, they're bad boys. We're bad boys. That's Let's true. Be- Let's be bad. Let's flip the script and do what we usually do. Yeah. You know what would be funny, Pete? Um, th- and this can... Uh, I don't know if this is public. Well, I mean, the, 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 the podcast listeners know you have a fiancé. They um, do. It's well publicized that I'm an engaged man. Exactly. Sorry, ladies. He's taken. Um, I just want to say, you, you just told me that you found the date for your wedding. And how great would it be if we yes. recorded an episode right before you got married? <laughs> that would be great. Uh, that would be great, PJ. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because we did just fine we lost it like three months ago we got a date for our wedding we decided on it and then at one point i like set it aside we moved apartments and it took us this long to dig it out from a box underneath the bed and we got we have the date so we found it and it feels good to have it back and to be save that date pete that's right and now yeah we're gonna save it we won't let it go anywhere i'll try not to lose it again yeah so it was really awkward when I had the date in the first place. I accidentally dropped it in the snow. Mm. That it, yeah, you got yeah. you get like right in washed, front of Shelby. You washed it off in hot water. Yeah, of course. Okay, good. Um, my grandmother got a save the date in the mail a few years ago, and she kept asking everybody what it was. She's like, "Is this the invitation?" I'm like, no, it's a save the date. She was like, "Oh, that's interesting." I don't know what that is. Yeah, I didn't realize save the dates were a newer invention. I didn't know that either, but maybe yeah. she just has not been invited to any weddings before that. <laughs> maybe. Really unpopular. It's the first wedding she's been invited to. So. Yeah. Including um, that of her own. She wasn't She invited. wasn't there. No. Yeah. Damn. There's just a cardboard cutout in her place. In the f- 50s, that was legal. Cardboard yes. cutout. That's yeah, fine. yeah. You could just have a proxy of a dummy, of a mannequin in a dress. Yeah, exactly. They, they had the lips cut out and then... Somebody would stick their lips through, and it, then obviously. there was so like it looked real. Yeah, they would take, they would like go to the butcher and just get a pig tongue. Yeah, to put in there, and so then they could like practice. Yeah, they could really go fucking hog go wild on it. that yeah. on that pig tongue. Well, PJ, last week we talked about sticky fingers, Ooh, sticky and we talked fingers. a little bit. Well, we talked about the Rolling Stones starting their own record label, but we didn't really talk about the circumstances that led to them starting their own record label. Right. So this week, we're going to get into it, because it's all tied together with the circumstances that lead to the recording of Exile on Main Street. Right. I was wondering if we were going to pick up on that. Yes. Okay. We are. So we're going to jump back in time. Don't get confused. It's. I mean, it's all back in time from 2021. Okay. So So if you can handle that fact then i think you could handle like moving around a little bit all right already i'll, I'll back get in time i'll get in the huey lewis mindset and yes I'll, i gotta go back in time yeah okay. yeah so in 1970 before sticky fingers came out the stones all realized that they were broke somehow <laughs> uh and mick in particular took it upon himself to figure out why the fuck they had no money because mm-hmm. Like, they had their country estates, they had cars, they had all, you know, 
all the stuff they wanted. But like after they were, they had finished this massive us tour, they had been selling albums like crazy and singles. The money was like just trickling in. It wasn't pouring in like they were expecting. So Mick through a friend of a friend found a high end banker, Prince Rupert Lowenstein, (laughs) a prince unclear. Maybe that was his first name. Like Prince unclear on whether that's his name or whether he's an actual prince no he's an actual prince his name you ready i am so ready pete rupert lewis ferdinand frederick constantine lofredo leopold herbert maximilian hubert john henry zoo lowenstein wertheim frudenberg count of lowenstein schaffernack wow that is the man's full name that sounds aka like a bit from a monty rupert lowenstein yeah yeah um so through a friend in a, of a friend mick was introduced to this guy he was a high-end like high finance banker yeah. in london um he actually ended up being the rolling stones financial manager until 2007 of all things huh. until they realized um, they, which is when off. he died no he died in 2014 but he must have retired or something that makes sense so yeah, so this guy, will I'm sure he'll come up again when we start talking in detail about the Stones' finances. Prince Rupert. <laughs> yes, Prince Lu- Rupert. So he asked Prince Rupert for help. It supposedly took Rupert... I'm a little unclear on the timeline here uh, because I saw some reference to Rupert supposedly taking a year and a half to like actually figure out their contract situation, to like untangle all of the contracts and distribution rights and right. you know whatever all the stuff but um he finally figured it out he sat mick down and explained to him what was going on when alan klein if we all remember after alan klein took over as their manager in 66 i believe it was or in 67 yeah. he suggested that the rolling stones incorporate in the u.s because the u.s charged lower taxes than the uk Especially, apparently at this point in time, the UK in the highest income bracket, which I'm not sure the exact amount, but the Rolling Stones fell into it being, you know, multi-millionaire rock stars. In the highest income bracket, you were eligible to be taxed up to 98% of your income. Holy shit. Yeah. So they wanted to, so that was his advice to incorporate in the US because the US loves making millionaires. That's true. And there's no downside to it at all for anyone else. As we know, so, the Rolling Stones are just creating jobs. And so Yes, they, that's right. They should they shouldn't be taxed. They love getting money into the economy. Oh, they love it. Okay. So they incorporated in the US. Alan Klein created a company that had the same name as the like incorporation or whatever that they had in the UK. They were both called Nanker Felge, their old pseudonym. Right based on their roommates adorable but when alan klein created the u.s nanker felge it was a completely different company that he owned and operated and under the company structure the rolling stones were simply his employees holy shit (laughs) yes yes alan klein so alan klein earns all the money and pays the rolling stones as he sees fit and he also owns all of their music yeah that's that's awesome that they didn't know that that was happening. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, you can definitely partially blame them. You can definitely partially blame blame Lug. 
you can 100 percent oh, blame yeah. alan klein alan klein <laughs> this is the um, at this point had he fucked over yeah. apple records already i think so right no this was oh yeah yeah, yeah. by 1970ish yeah. yes he had already i mean he was either he had already he'd either already done it or he was yeah. in the middle of doing it which i think he did basically the same thing where like he helped them start apple records and then they like all of a sudden didn't own any of their music anymore and had to like buy it all back later the rolling stones have never been able to buy back their 60s catalog they still do not own the rights to anything yeah published before sticky fingers and then i believe four songs off exile and two songs off sticky fingers the rights are owned by abco which is the company um I've actually been meaning to look this up. I believe Abco is just Alan Klein's company. Yeah, Alan Klein. Is that Klein's, piece of shit still alive? Uh, record label. No, he died, right? Um. Okay, I'm yeah, pretty sure he's dead. So, so Abco still owns all of their '60s output, and then a couple assorted like singles. Damn. Uh, from the early '70s. They properly fucked them over. I didn't know any of that. Yes. So, after Mick found out. He met with Klein and Prince Rupert and got so upset at Alan Klein that he started screaming at him and chased him out to the elevator before Prince Rupert grabbed him and was like, you can't hurt him. That will hurt our case. (laughs) (laughs) So Prince Rupert recommended that they immediately sever all their ties with Alan Klein. Um, Yeah, they were part of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as I think we talked about on Sticky Fingers, like part of this all lined up with their contract ending. So it was mm. fairly easy for them to just, you know, not renew or whatever, not sign anyone. Right. Um, so this solved their first issue of, you know, not being in charge of their own music and money. Uh, although, as I mentioned before, they still wouldn't have ever ownership ever of their 60s catalog, but at least gave them a clean slate going forward and as we talked about last week, it then led to them starting their own label. Um, Rupert also found that they owed a ton of taxes in the UK because Alan Klein had been taking all the DECA checks, their UK distributor. He'd been taking all those and cashing them and not paying taxes to the UK government on their behalf. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I'm a little unclear. I mean, I guess... I do my tax return every year. I'm unclear on how taxes work in general and how British taxes work, but I don't know why it wouldn't be his fault if it's his company that wasn't paying the taxes, you know, and the Rolling Stones are just his employees. Like, why is it the Stones' problem? Because he only started the company in the U.S. They still have... Oh, yeah, okay. So the DECA checks, yeah, like they were just mailing them to him, but it was still maybe under their other company. Probably, Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so they owed so much that Pritz Rupert recommended they go into tax exile, uh, which was a method where you live somewhere with lower taxes um, and earn enough money that you can pay back your other taxes because you're not paying taxes in the new place. So, in December 1970, they officially... Let me just... It's no, like... No fucking wonder a prince came up with this shit. Like, Mm -hmm. you're rich? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have to pay taxes here. Like... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it works. That's what like every yeah. company does in the world. If you can, yeah, is like have your you know or like every what do you like hedge fund or whatever. Like they right. just have their headquarters where they have to pay taxes based in a place where the taxes are low. And then... right, like Amazon is based out of like 
Bangladesh yeah. or something crazy. So, yeah. I think. Anyway, so they left Klein officially in December 1970. They sued him for $29 million. They eventually got $2 million. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. And they all decamped to France, where they cut a deal with the French government that they wouldn't have to pay any taxes uh, as long as they spent 150,000 pounds a year in France, which I assume for the Stones was not much. Not a so problem. They took the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So they took the deal so they could just save all their money aside from, you know, this this smaller sum of spending money yeah. they had to do. Huh. So just like in Britain, they all got their own country homes or estates, except Mick ended up in Paris to do some city living. Um, Keith got this house or estate called Nelcote. I don't actually know. Let me see if. No, I was wondering if the Wikipedia page had information on how it's supposed to be pronounced because it has a weird marking that I don't know because I don't speak French right. above the O. So, but we'll just call it Nelcote. Um, and that was on the coast outside of Nice, which is on the Mediterranean, kind of near the Italy-France border. Ah, so, uh, you know, in a state only a very rich man could afford. Yes, exactly. I know, it is kind of funny that, like, I mean, not that we necessarily expect anything different from them, but they're just like, let's just go spend a fuck ton of money somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and like, they don't really seem that concerned with paying these taxes back, but yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Um, so Keith's uh, mansion was the kind of center of activity for them. Cause mm -hmm. like I said, like mix up in France in or in Paris, probably in a house, but like still he's in the city. And then just for whatever reason, Nelcote became their center of activity where they'd all meet more kind of friends of the band stayed there and hung out there and all that. So, right. Um, this place. So it's on the ocean. He had a speedboat there that <laughs> apparently like for a long time they would, his schedule would be like, wake up at two or three in the afternoon. Um, start recording at like, 10 p.m. record until the morning and then everyone would pile into the speedboat and like drive to the next town across the ocean or across the water to get breakfast or whatever that sounds like the fucking life man it sounds it sounds pretty awesome except for the heroin but yeah <laughs> um the mansion was supposedly like uh inhabited by the nazis during world war ii when they were occupying france damn um and there were a lot of legends about that. There were apparently like swastikas in the basement that were like in the tiling or whatever in the wall. Mm -hmm. And supposedly they like tortured people in the basement and stuff. According to the actual Wikipedia page for Nelcote, they say it's almost certainly a rumor. Okay. Um. So the swastikas, oh, they were on the heating vents. That's right. The swastikas that were on the heating vents, apparently that was a common like motif in designs at the time that it was built in the mm -hmm. late 1890s. It wasn't associated with Nazis then, and that was like from when they built the house. Um, it's like if some hate group started using like a fleur-de-lis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then they're saying that like Nice or that specific area was only occupied by the Nazis for about a year. Um. 
so they were like so the wikipedia page basically is just like it seems really unlikely that they would have like done any changes to the house like adding swastikas to the right. <laughs> basement um an insane and, thing to do but yeah. also would you put it past the nazis no i mean no not at all which is i think probably why the rumors like existed then and maybe still exist but yeah just according you know it just it's unlikely i guess is what what it chalks up to it's it's extremely unlikely but it technically could have happened so (laughs) (laughs) like there's not there's not really proof either way it just doesn't seem doesn't seem likely so while mick was in paris in late 1970, around when they moved, at a party, he met Bianca Perez Mora Macias, uh, a daughter of a plantation owner from Nicaragua. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, um, what at I some love about society that party. Is that is the second person in this episode we've talked <laughs> With about an that has like name. seven names? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they started seeing each other. She was pregnant by early 1971. And they decided to get married. <laughs> so Okay. So they got married in San Tropez, I think. And uh, the wedding was a whole to-do. There were paparazzi and helicopters buzzing the whole place. There were... Uh, Mick chartered a jet for all his musician buddies to come down. And apparently on the same plane, there was Eric Clapton, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Keith Moon, Peter Frampton. So... It was a real who's who yeah. kind of blowout. That is cool. I would love to have been there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking nuts. So that happened too. So now Mick's a married man. Who before they who came thought to anybody France, could tie down that wild bangled tiger? Right, I know. Before they came to France, Keith and Anita, who were into heroin at this point. Hell yeah, bro. Uh, they kicked kicked the addiction before they came over uh mostly it seems like to avoid hassle when they like came into the country um and went through um immigration and everything that makes sense so but a few months after living there he (laughs) he and some friend were driving go-karts on a go-kart track (laughs) yeah which is a super funny thing to be doing uh and keith flipped his go-kart and like fucked up his back like scraped his back on the asphalt you know yeah and so the nurse that like came to the house to attend to him gave him morphine for the pain and it seems like someone should have told them not to do that yeah <laughs> like it's really crazy that they would have shown up and anyone standing there wouldn't have been like hey this guy's actually a heroin addict so yeah. maybe don't do that and it's not like because at the any time other option yeah it's not like at the time they were like Oh, morphine is, is good only... for you, but like heroin's bad. They wrote right, a fucking right. song called Sister Morphine. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's, uh, they know what so, they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So he got a morphine injection there and was immediately back, back on the horse, as they say. Um, and then eventually Graham Parsons showed up. Cool. And he and Keith started hanging out again at the house and continued their bromance over, over heroin every night love it for them and it just became a like kind of just basically a drug den of a house like everyone was always on something people would come by just to get heroin and stuff apparently john lennon visited at some point and like threw up in the hallway or something and 
Probably because at that house he took real just, heroin. Yeah, maybe. Have you have so, you heard the story of John Lennon's heroin addiction? I don't think so. No. Apparently, the guy who he bought heroin from, like, yeah, all the time, uh, yeah. was giving him like heroin that was like really shitty heroin, like five yeah. percent heroin, and then like mostly like other stuff. So like really, really low quality yeah. heroin, and he you know got addicted because yeah. heroin is just addictive. And then uh, there was one time where he was, like, trying to just get really high, so he, like, shot up so much, and then it, like, saved his life that he had, like, super weak-ass heroin. Yeah. 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 That's nuts. I mean, yeah, at that point, in hindsight, like, you have to thank that asshole dealer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because Keith, uh, the the book I'm reading actually goes out of its way to mention that like somehow in France, for whatever reason, Keith was getting like insanely pure heroin. Hmm. So he was, I don't know, super the opposite thing. Say. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So Graham comes back, and while not credited as writing any of the songs on Exile, is credited with strongly influencing at least three or four of them. Yeah, I could see that um, by hanging out and playing with Keith. So, while they're in France, they decide to start working on their next album. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, in lieu of recording at a studio, they decided to have Ian Stewart, uh, the the van driver in the early days, still the driver, because they yeah. get him to drive their mobile studio down from Britain. Of course um, they did. What, what else yeah. is he good for? Right. Uh, and they set it up in the front yard of Nellcote and run all the wires inside to the basement to yeah. record in the basement and then have all the mixing stuff, I guess, up in the van. If you see a picture of it, it's fucking insane. Yeah? Yeah. There's also a really good documentary about this album. Um, I watched it a few years ago. Uh, it's what like yeah. started me on this album. Uh, I believe it's called the Rolling Stones in Exile. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool. I feel like I saw mention of that when doing research for this album. Yeah, Stones in Exile. Did that is that a new one or did that come out around the time? There's a lot of footage of it, um, but yeah. it came out in like 2010, I want to say. Um, okay. And it it's really cool. Um, they yeah they just talk about you know their whole production thing and why it is such a good album. Yeah, interesting. Nice. Well, so, yeah, so they run all the chords down to the basement and recorded the album in the basement, which was really cramped and old. It was described, Bobby Keys, their saxophone player, has a quote about it saying, it was a catacomb, dark and creepy. Me and Jim Price, who is the trumpet player, uh, set up far away from the other guys. We couldn't see anyone. It was fucked up. (laughs) Um. So, yeah, they all kind of squeezed into different little cutouts. So, like, mm-hmm. Bill and Keith were in one little room. Uh, Nicky Hopkins, the piano player for most of the album, Ian Stewart also played some piano, but Nicky Hopkins at one end of the hallway, those horn players at the other end of the hallway. Uh, little Mick was under the stairs for some reason. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just all crazy. Like, no one was really looking at each other. It's just really a crazy way to record. Um is apparently really, really hot in the basement for some reason. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, they would, no one would ever be, like, wearing a shirt or shoes down there. There's a really famous photo that 
I saw somewhere, not my book, but I like, I know the photo somehow, but there's a really famous photo of Bobby Keys, the saxophone player recording just in a pair, like in a Speedo in yeah. the basement. Um, so, and their working title for the album kind of, I think on the idea of the, the heat and all the heroin, uh, tropical disease. Ooh, that's way yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bobby Keys is the coolest dude in the world. I love Bobby Keys. It's pretty wild. I think I kind of feel like Bobby Keys was one of those guys who had when we talked about Rolling Stones books, how there's just a gajillion written of like friends of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I feel like if Bobby Keys wrote one, that'd probably be pretty interesting. Oh, I'd love Because like just to be a like non drug using maybe he did drugs, but I'm not sure as heavily, he did. it didn't seem like. Yeah. But like to be kind of a sober fly on the wall during this era would be pretty a pretty interesting uh, viewpoint to hear yeah for sure there's probably some insane stories so they recorded mostly in Nelcote at some point um i believe it was like early like spring 1972 ish they were tipped off by a friend of a friend that the french police were planning on raiding Nelcote at some point they'd heard tell of all the goings on over there okay um so they all bounced left the country and met up in los angeles to finish the album at i think sunset sound where they'd done stuff before Mm -hmm. yeah so there it is and that's where they finished putting the final touches on the album and and all of that okay it uh yeah for how sloppy the recording process sounds i guess this is kind of a sloppy album but it really came together like yeah you know yeah we'll talk about it when we do the track by track a little bit but it is interesting yeah like they know the stones know how to like pull something out of nothing it just makes me it makes me kind of think of their satanic majesty's request where they were recording just a bunch of shit and then we're like oh we have to put an album out we don't really have this done Mm -hmm. and just kind of pulled what they had and it worked out i don't know fairly well like it's not it doesn't i don't think that album necessarily sounds like they just didn't have anything (laughs) two months before right um like the jams aside i guess (laughs) so but then exile it doesn't seem like they were they were quite there which is interesting like it's just kind of surprising especially when they're on as many drugs as they were on and stuff yeah they were like actually putting out a more kind of complete work and everything um and it wasn't even though it it definitely had some sloppiness to it it wasn't nearly as sloppy as like that kind of recording yeah yeah um so the cover is a very famous cover it is so good it was so Mick found this designer and photographer to that he wanted to get to take the photos from the album cover. Um, and they got photos taken by this guy. Um, and then this other guy, Robert Frank, who is a photographer, uh, just took Mick to do photographs like in the city of L.A., like just mm-hmm. walked around and took photos. Um, and they actually ended up using like through working with Frank, they ended up using a, an outtake from an old photo book that he'd put out. Like it, it was just, they must've come across it while they were hanging out with him and looking at his stuff. Yeah. Um, 
which yeah it's like a photo he took of this collage of like old for lack of a better term circus freak people um and so they chose that photo and then a lot of the photos he took of mick walking around ended up being like on the back of the album and on the inside and then same with the other ones i i have this album on vinyl and they're like a lot of the pullouts are cool yeah yeah so they have i mean the collage thing they do consistently through the whole thing i think yeah or at least through the whole front and back um and then yeah apparently uh they were they put a bunch of the photos of the band at the 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 band photos sorry as postcards inside the sleeve that you got um little Mm -hmm. like postcard sized photos and yeah since it was a double album they had like a lot of space to just put all these photos and had you know two album sleeves to put stuff on and all that so yeah um my favorite thing about the album cover is there is i think you might know exactly which picture i'm talking about um one of the pictures is the best picture i've ever seen in my life and the i believe the photographer would you say frank something or other yeah uh he so they used this picture in uh like all the album promotion and stuff because yeah. apparently they were just talking to him and they're like, what, what should we use on the promotion? We can't use all these pictures. And then he was like, uh, why don't we use the picture of three ball Charlie, which is oh, what yeah. he gave this gentleman. I he, did see that. Yeah. He, he nicknamed this gentleman three ball Charlie. And he was like, why don't we use that? It's the most amazing picture I've ever seen in my life <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's pretty like, crazy. Yeah. It's all these like, you know, weird circus people. And then it's th- just this man with three very large balls in his mouth. Like that's like a freakish thing to do. Yeah, I would love to get a tattoo of Three Ball Charlie, but I feel <laughs> like I feel like that's a bad look, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. So that's Exile, man. Yeah. Um, we do you want to take a a break and come back and go go track by track? PJ? Let's take a break and then we can just do a little track by track, Pete. Okay, great. All right. We will be back with the Rolling Stone stuff. And welcome back to the Rolling Stone Studs. We're going track by track through Exile on Main Street. Oh, we are mainlining that main street, if you That's will. That's right. Just like Keith. Yeah. Um, so, Exile on Main Street was released in May 1972. It went to the number one spot in the U.S. and the U.K., Hmm. And the single released before the album was Tumbling Dice. Hell which yeah. Went to was. number five in the UK and number seven in the US. That's so. weird that it didn't do like, I mean, it did. If six and seven is amazing, but like it didn't go to number one, but the album did. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. So, I mean, we are getting into an era to some degree of album oriented rock so where that is fair a full album is like more important than having a hit single so and what was the b-side do you know uh yes i do know 
this B-side to Tumbling Dice was Sweet Black Angel. And then the second single released in the summer was Happy with the B-side All Down the Line, which okay. All Down the Line, Mick argued to be the lead single for the album, but he was outvoted, I guess, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So. I get it. Well, you want to do it? Shall we? Number one, Rocks Off. Disc one. What is is he just singing lower than usual? What is going on with his voice? He it's sounds so, so low. different than usual. So good. It is great. It sounds amazing. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? About his voice? Yeah. I love it. I love the like yeah. weird low Mick voice. I don't even know. It's it's fantastic. Um, it's very good. Yeah. And then once we hear the horns come in, that part is also really great. It's very, like, I don't know, made me think of Brian Wilson because they come in on, like, a weird minor note that is totally out of place with the rest of the song but is, like, so perfect. It should come in pretty soon. Yeah, coming in on that low note. And then sweeping uh, upwards. Yeah. The um energy this yeah. song gives off. Yes. It's it's unreal, man. I think I, I'm not actually really comparing this to anything, but when I listen to this album this week, I think this felt like it's my favorite Rolling Stone song I've ever heard so far. Like this is maybe this song is maybe the most excited I've been listening to the Stones. It up is to this point. an amazing way to open the album as well. Because yeah, this energy is. then is, it sets a tone for the album and it does it perfectly. Yeah. Um, it does. It's so great. It's like so, like it's it's such a great synthesis of everything they do, but then with some new stuff, like, I don't know. It's much catchier than most Rolling Stone stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. I, Peter and I usually do not discuss the albums in the middle of the week. This week, no. Peter texted me and he went, "Exile, holy shit!" And yeah, I, I did. I just had to be like, "I've been telling you this whole time." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I even like this weird part. Yeah, I really. I mean, I don't think it'll surprise anyone that I love this part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved. Uh, sitting in the grass or whatever that satanic majesty's request song was with the voice filter on it right i love this yeah all right and then when it comes back it's so yeah oh yeah it comes so fantastic the song rips dude it does speaking of it almost rips as hard yeah (laughs) as rip this joint which can we say they match the energy on the second song for the first time i know i love punk rock chuck berry is something the stones have flirted with but they definitely nail here they nail it yeah yes i just love how much mick is just screaming the whole time 
he, very he is at his best when he's like, I love him doing his mid thing, but I also love when he's like screaming or doing a weird low thing like on Rocks Off. Yeah. 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 It's really great. I mean, not a Chuck Berry song, but they're clearly, you know, yeah, aping that songwriting style. Right. They, Just a really fast R&B song. Oh. Yeah, this album, this entire album, I love the saxophone. See, and I don't know what the difference is exactly, but it just works here for me in a way where every other time it's been like, eh, all right, I could take it or leave it. Peter, but it th- works here. This album is the reason I've said probably seven or eight times on this podcast <laughs> that I'm a sucker for saxophone in yeah. a song. I love horns in a yeah. song, and it is, I think, 100% because of this album. Interesting, yeah. It's so good I on do, this album. I love it in this album. I really yeah. love it. And maybe it's just because Bobby Keys is that fucking good. Yeah. It is very good. Uh, amazing song. Next up, Shake Your Hips. Yeah, so this is a cover of a Slim Harpo song, an old blues guy. Or older. He was around in, like, the 60s, I think. But um, Even though this is, like, vaguely kind of a slower song, I think it keeps the energy going, for sure. Oh, yeah. it And, like... I guess it's not slower. It's just a little more low-key. But it keeps the energy. Yeah, going. I think... This is what they were trying to do with their second song on most albums. Yeah. Is like try to keep the like vibe of the album going, but not necessarily like have it be the same per se. However, yeah, they they nailed it this time. Yeah, and then this with the organ and saxophone doing the little riff, man, like oh, it's good. good stuff. Yeah, the organ. So that's Ian Stewart. He's back. Uh, yeah, let's double check on this specific song. We have a few credited people. We have Nicky Hopkins is credited on keyboards the whole time. Uh, and then Billy Preston plays organ on Shine a Light later on. Um, and then we have, yeah, where's Ian Stewart? Piano on Shake Your Hips, Sweet Virginia, and Stop Breaking Down. So he might be on this one, yeah. Or that might be him, I mean, probably is. And then those are the only piano players we have credited here. The first blue standard they've done that I really love. Yeah, this is awesome. It's good. I think maybe because it's a little less bluesy and a little more like... I don't know. Like, I feel like it has more kind of... This is apparently technically a shoeshine beat, which I was actually not aware of as a rhythm. I was going to say it feels a little more in the, like, Bo Diddley camp than, like, the... Robert Johnson kind of can't so you know yeah in terms of their covers and stylings that they've done so makes sense all right casino boogie uh this album or this song, I mean, use the famous trick of writing down a bunch of words and phrases on pieces of paper, putting them into a hat, and pulling them out to write the lyrics. Ah. Yeah. A, a, a songwriting technique later employed by the Traveling Wilburys. And employed by the band Fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you they'd come up. Uh, I'm glad when you keep your promises. 
Yes, that's right. And they'll they'll come up again, PJ. We are not done with fish talk. Um, this song, I do think it's a good song. Um, and I think it, I don't think it like. I don't think it slows down the album at all. Um, it is just maybe my least favorite song on the album, but I still love it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I also don't love it, but I think it it accomplishes the same thing as Shake Your Hips. It doesn't lose the energy of this first side. Um, and the sax solo is great on this song. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really, really good. So like it's good. It doesn't it doesn't slow anything down. It doesn't ruin the vibe you have going on. Yeah. Um, I think this song's like not incredible, but I wouldn't take it off. No, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't switch this out for anything. This song is where like when I talk when we talk about albums, like when we talk about albums and I'm rating them lower because like it only has a few good songs on it. And then we talked about this a few weeks ago where you bring up like, well, yeah, but there can be albums with songs that aren't as good, but it still works in the context of the album. I make that distinction in my head for songs like Casino Boogie, where it's like, I would not take this off, but I don't think it hurts like the overall yeah. Is it, Exile on it would be Street, like an eight or a nine or a 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah. Like I wouldn't count this against its score, but there's some songs that are just bad and count against the score, <laughs> you know? All right. Next and song. the guitar solo is fine. It, it's not the best one on the album. I'll say that much. No, I actually want to double check. I think it's Little Mick. It sounds very much like Little Mick to me. Um, but let me check Casino. Okay. It is nice that, um, like at the beginning, we couldn't tell the difference between Brian doing a solo and Keith doing a solo. Now it is it is distinguishable which one is Little Mick and which one is. Well, it's because this sounds like Dwayne Allman to me. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, it must be Little Mick. Yeah. Uh, yes, a lengthy guitar solo on the outro from Mick Taylor. Yeah. I do like the guitar solo. It's very good. Yeah. And it leads into the next song perfectly, which is Tumbling Dice. Oh, that choir, man. I love it. Or at least some backing singers. Yeah. Um, so if the story that I remember about this song being written, I couldn't talk over the song. I'm just straight up dancing and singing along uh, over here. So had you heard this song before listening to this album? Nope. I mean, it, maybe at some point, but I didn't remember having ever heard it before. So I've said a lot of songs might be my favorite Stones song. This and the next song are my two absolute favorite Stones yeah. songs. This one is definitely up there for me, man. It's it's so fantastic. Like, it is just a, a perfect Baby. song. It's so good. Um, And we haven't even gotten to the chorus yet. Tumbling, tumbling. It's so good, dude. So good. It is so so good. This, um, yeah. I mean, well, this whole first disc is yeah. just a a perfect record so far, at least. It's um, ridiculous. So if uh, if I remember the story correctly, um, and I don't know if you read anything about this, but the there was a woman that came to clean uh, Keith's estate. 
So mm. it's like little Spanish cleaning woman. Um, yeah. And she was just talking to him one day, and they're like, what do you like to do, like, outside of... Because uh, she got paid pretty well, I think. Um, and yeah. they were like, what do, what do you, like, do outside? And she was like, I, oh, I love gambling. And then they're like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I, like, lose a lot of money. I win a lot of money. And they're like, what do you play? She was like, I play tumbling dice. And yeah. uh, just because nice. it was, like, a broken, uh, like, oh, English yeah, yeah, language yeah. kind of thing. And they're like, oh, you teach us how to play? And so there's there's this little Spanish woman just teaching all of the Rolling Stones and like you know the surrounding uh, musicians just how to play tumbling dice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And then it led to a fucking incredible song somehow. A really perfect song. Yeah, that's awesome. I was told in high school when I was, um, our high school had like. Uh, uh, what would you what would you call the career center? What is that? Uh, like a vocational. Sorry. Uh, there, we had like a vocational high school that we could go to, and yeah. I went for audio and video production. And nice. with the audio production class, we got to uh, DJ on the radio station oh, that yeah, the, nice. the high school had. Um, and I played this song, and my teacher told me to turn it off because nobody my age wants to hear that shit. And I was like, this song is amazing. What are you talking about? <laughs> wow, um, that teacher is weird. I feel like that teacher would just be more like, oh, I'm impressed you know this tune, son. No. Uh, and you're not just into, she I don't know. was that? insane. Her favorite band was Average White Band. Um, wow. Yeah. And she told me, she told a story of how she was like, you know, the Beatles got away with so much because they owned their own record company. They stole so many songs from so many people. And then she... Uh, the, was like, the Beatles? Like, yeah, and she was like, the song okay. Yesterday was, it, my mom was singing along to that when it came on the radio for the first time. They stole that from some Canadian band. And uh, I got so mad because what? specifically with the song Yesterday, Paul McCartney has a very long story about how yeah, he yeah. came up with the tune and then specifically PJ, looked up The more everywhere. involved the story the more likely it is it's a lie, man. <laughs> I, like, got so mad, and I was like, oh, cool. yeah, that's I don't insane. trust this teacher at all anymore. Yeah, what the what the hell? That's yeah. crazy. Next song is Sweet Virginia. Sweet Virginia. Sweet Virginia. <laughs> uh, this is one of the credit goes to Graham Parsons songs, but not actually a songwriting credit. Just yeah. A, yeah, handshake credit. Um, I love this song. It is, yeah, it's great. Top two favorite Stone songs. Mostly about heroin, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, very um, evidently. Yeah, it has one of the best and, choruses of all time. Yeah, I would say this is probably their best like country ballady tune yet. Yeah, which is where I disagree with Jake because he was like, I see like Sticky Fingers as part A, and yeah. I disagree completely. Yeah. I think they're very different albums. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I also, mean, I hear it. I also I feel like this though has more in common with Sticky Fingers than like these two have more in common with each other than they do with any other albums we've heard yet. Yeah, I agree with that. But I would okay. I would classify them differently. Interesting. Yeah. Um. I love that it sounds like mixed vocals were recorded in a very long hallway that he was at the end of yeah. and the microphone was at the other end. It's great. The recording on this whole album 
is great. Like, I love... I mean, the mix is probably the most famous part. Yeah. Where it's mixed, where everything's just the same level, basically. So it's just this crazy mush of sound. Yeah. And it really um, works. Yeah, I think it really does. It makes it sound very natural, I would say, the recording process. It makes it sound like you're sitting in the basement, like, listening to yeah. a band play. Kind of. Oh, this is the best part. Got... Oh no, not this part. Side my shoes. Oh, I love this song. It's very, very good. And whoever's just like wailing around in the back. That's what I was gonna say. Who is that? I wanna I forgot to look up who that was. Let me Let me see if it's credited, I should say. This is the best part. Got to scrape this shit right off yeah. shoes. Um, both Keith and Little Mick are credited with backing vocals, so it's amazing. We don't know. Yeah. And then, like, again, I do really like the sax on this album, but a weird place for a saxophone solo. But it works in for like me, a country baby. tune, kind of. But but we do get. Is this no? Never mind. I love it. It is a it is an excellent song. To me somehow the intro to the song is like much prettier than what the song ends up being. If that makes sense? I can like, hear that. That guitar part Every time really I cool. listen to it, the intro is like so gorgeous and then the song is good. It's really good. But I just feel like they don't quite hit as beautiful as like the intro makes it sound like it's going to be. See, I like that. I think it it's not like a song where the beginning is slow and then it, it builds up a little bit and then it's just that level. I think it like increasingly yeah. builds up throughout the whole song and I really love that and I think it works great. Yeah. And it's the same recording with like most of this you can't tell like it was recorded in a basement, but mixed vocals and the saxophone yeah. on this are like, there's something rough around the edges about it that I just fucking yes. love. And then like the backing vocals too just makes it sound like they're picked up like on a hot mic. Like they're just singing along while playing, but not actually being purposely recorded. Yeah. It's got a good, yeah, like I said, like a natural vibe to it. I feel Yeah. Like. I love that song so much. That's great. All right, Torn and Frayed. Another country ballad. Yeah. Um, this one took me a little bit to get into, but this I think might be as good as Sweet Virginia to me. I really, really like this one. I really like this. And this was one that I, like, I've listened to this album a bunch. Um, this was one I never really like. I think just because it was right after Sweet Virginia, I was like, ah, right. perfect. Um, yeah. I hadn't really like given it a chance before, but this song is really, really good. Yeah. This is another one with a lot of Graham Parsons' influence in the writing. Yeah. The only thing that kind of gets me hung up about this song is it Mick's doing a little bit of his country voice, but 
not enough to make me hate it at all. Just sounds yeah. like he's trying a little hard to be like, yeah. <laughs> and this time it's more of like an affect that he's speaking right. more than like doing a voice, I feel like. Yeah. Although in general, he's cut that back wildly on this album, which oh. helps those country. Like imagine yeah. Sweet Virginia if he was doing the dumb country voice the whole time. Oh, come on, come on down. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be weird. His yeah. voice just works for country, so I don't. Yes, it does. Yeah. Like he doesn't need to try. Yeah, it's so excellent on its own. So yeah, I this really is good. Love this we song. have a a pretty interesting pedal steel solo. Yeah, that's coming up. Nice. That's by, I think it's a friend of Graham Parsons who Which showed is up to play this. so awesome. Yeah. Pedal steel is my favorite instrument to listen to on an album. Mine too. Uh, this solo isn't the best pedal steel solo, but it's very no. good. It's good. good shit this is good shit it's real good shit all right sweet black angel what instrument is that that's i couldn't find it in the credits okay yeah thank you i know we talked about it before but i just couldn't remember um i really really like this song too it's really good awesome i love that percussion happening um I love that it starts yeah. off and you can hear the percussion better than anything in the song. Yeah. It's good. This is um, was written about a civil rights activist who was like on trial uh, around the time they wrote the or were recording the album. So, do you know who it was? Uh, yeah, named Angela Davis. Oh, Angela Davis. Yeah, that's who I was gonna guess. Uh, yep. Have you not heard of Angela Davis? No, I have oh. to say I have not. Okay. Or I didn't before, you know, yeah. looking up this album. I think if you saw a picture of her, you would know who she was. Like a picture from the 60s. I'll look it up. She was on the 2020 Time 100 pe- Most Influential People of the Year. Hmm. Uh, this song, yeah, it rules. It's just very, very pretty, and I like, yeah. you know, the melody is pretty, and the instrumentation is really nice. See, it's something a nice ab- song. about this album, it like, it is a pretty album, I will say. But it also is like, I think everything the Rolling Stones try to capture after this, where it's just like these like kick-ass blues, like badass songs, you know? Yeah. Um, Loving Cup. A good song. A phenomenal song. Yeah, I don't know. I would say I, I definitely like this song, but I it 
it just feels like there's actually a couple three songs on the second disc that are like this for me too. Whenever they start, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And then it just kind of never gets there for me. So I don't know. Oh, this song's I, good, I but I wouldn't say it's it's great. See, I this was another one uh, much like um, Torn and Frayed where I've, I've heard it a bunch, but I never really thought about it. And I really love it. That part. The piano is really good on this song, by the way. That's one thing, especially in the intro. I really like the piano there. I love the chorus of the song so much. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, the piano is killer all the way throughout. All right. Um, happy. Moving on to the second, second disc. Ah, uh, this is a Keith lead vocal. Yeah, the whole time. Yep. Very pop rock for the Stones. It is. I feel um, like, especially for this album. Yeah. And Keith's voice, pretty fucking good. Yeah, it's it's solid. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I would rather this song would be sung by Mick, but Keith's just like always with Keith's voice, you can tell his range is limited. It's limited, yeah. I mean, he was probably real high on heroin at the time, too, so. Um, yeah, this song's good. This song feels to me like this is just a prototype for every, like, pop rock hit until 1988. Yeah. They're you just could, like, make it sound vaguely like this. <laughs> yeah, you could kind of hear that with uh, Loving Cup a little bit, too, on the chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. I feel like, yeah, they just uh, used this... Uh, recipe, but I do think and when it's the a horns really come good song. in soon. Yeah. Pretty good guitar. Yeah. Um. All the guitars on here, I think, are key. Oh. Those horns. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. All right. The next song we have, uh, the most crass song on the album, Turd on the <laughs> Run. So fucking immature, but does kind of make me laugh. Yeah. I, every time I've seen that album, I'm like, <laughs> I forgot they put turd in a song. Yeah. Which is not even a thing I thought was like a British expression. I would think that every British person would be like, that's very crass. Yeah, it does seem very, and it also just seems weirdly modern to me. Like, I can't, yeah. I feel like I can't imagine someone saying the word turd in 1972. Yeah. Like, it just, it feels very much like a thing junior hires started saying, like, in the 90s or something. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it, like, I could see, like, the only person I can imagine saying it in the 70s is Burt Reynolds for some reason. <laughs> okay. Um, It is a good song, though. I like it. Yeah, this one to me is kind of like Shake Your Hips and Casino Boogie. Like, it's good, and it keeps the energy up, but I don't love it. it. I really like the screams on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're clearly having some fun, which is yeah. fun. And I think that's what I love about this album is you can just tell they're like, they're loving it. All right, Ventilator Blues. 
Uh, this is the first tune so far. Little Mick gets a songwriting credit. Hell yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Even though he wrote one on the last album, if I'm not mistaken, that he exactly. just didn't get credit for. Exactly. This song kicks ass. Yeah, this song's really, really excellent. It's the like best kind of I don't know, sneering, blues. stomping blues like yeah. that the Stones do. I also love the Moida. Way it says Moida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is good. Uh, apparently, by the way, that opening riff is Mick, Little Mick on a um, resonator guitar. Oh, cool. Um, this, to me, sounds like what every theme song of, like, badasses uh, in television shows from, like, the 90s until now, <laughs> what they're trying to emulate. Like, the yeah. fucking uh, uh, God... Not Godfather. Sopranos theme song Sopranos. is, like, this, yeah. but worse. And, like, yeah. the uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Sons of Anarchy one. Yeah. 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 It's this song's really fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's very good. It's so good and just so yeah, I don't know. It fully fulfills that like down in the dirt, grimy, hard rocking kind of thing that I don't know. The stones And this when they well, do it well, it yeah. really works. This very well might be the prototype of like too. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. I can't think of anything earlier that's like like that specifically. Um, I just want to see his face. This I was surprised wasn't a cover when I looked it up. It sounded so much to me like some old gospel standard. Mm. Well, you and were then... thinking of I've just seen a face by the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The old gospel standard. Yeah. I've just seen a face. By those famous, yeah, um, yeah, but it's it's an original, but it's okay. I really love the organ on it. Yeah, the organ's great, and like, kind of again, like it keeps the mood going. But I wouldn't pick it out as like a great song on its own necessarily. Yeah, um, the drums. I like whatever like echo effect they're having on the drums too. Yeah, for sure. Boy, are we ever going to get to the song, PJ? I know. We're already one minute in. Ugh. This should have been the intro song to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the longest instrumental intro. That would have been great. I'm surprised they didn't put this as number two on the album. Right? It does. The old Stones would have. Yeah. Maybe they're done with that. Who knows? Probably on their next album, it'll be like one great song and then five slow songs in a row. Yeah. So. See, and I agree with you. Um, I don't like love this song, but I think it works incredibly well on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I My one thing, I know it's not long, and I actually feel this way about a different song later, but it's not super long, but I feel like I want this specifically. I want it to be like a minute and a half. Like I it want, feels like it's I a good mood. I want to fade out right now. Yeah, like a good mood piece palette cleanser kind of thing. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a full three-minute song at yeah. all. Um, it, it's just not quite enough going on, I wouldn't say. Yeah, let it loose. Especially when you got let it loose coming. 
right after. Just get to the good shit, guys. Uh, I thought this was going to be your favorite song on the album. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I definitely like this one a lot, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's quite up there. I, I didn't think you would like... Uh, um, tumbling dice as much as you did, though. Oh yeah, I love it. I do like this song. This a lot. song, I don't know why, but this song makes me think a lot of the ending of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like there the was, final song there was that a lot of saxophone on this album that reminded me of uh, Rocky. Oh really? Horror, yeah. Where I was like, oh, on this one, the backing vocals remind me of that of yeah. the last Frankfurt when I don't know why but just the specific way they're singing is very Rocky Horror maybe uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was based on this album it came out a few years after it's possible I think actually when this album came out Rocky Horror was already on Bro- the West End I think uh. I think it started on the West End in like 1971 Oh no, 1973 is when it was on stage, so it was after this. You're right. Man, I am looking at a thing of uh, Bobby Keys' discography, his selected discography. Fuck, he was on All Things Must Pass. Wow, that's crazy. On the Warren Warren Zevon's self titled album, and he was on Eric Clapton's self titled album, and he was on uh, Delaney Bonnie and Friends, Chuck Berry. We should just find Bobby Keys probably just has a autobiography that's pretty fucking good yeah. if he's on all this shit <laughs> like he was on uh joe cocker's mad dogs and englishman wow. fuck this guy's on everything and he's good he was he's you know been what on... they used to say get keys get, yeah. get keys in here that was the famous phrase every producer would say in the 70s he's been on uh every uh, one of uh ev- all of the beatles uh Solo, oh, solo albums, albums? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Alright. All down the line. Yeah. Yeah, Let It Loose is good. It's very good. Um this it song's com- awesome. Yeah. Uh Let All It Loose comes at a perfect time on that one, I wanna say. Yeah. Like to slow it down a little bit. And then All Down the Line is amazing. The backing vocals alone on this are like Yeah. The Actually, I I'm gonna amend what I said about happy. Happy crossed with all down the line is the prototypical like pop rock radio hit until 19, until the mid 80s or whatever. Yeah. Uh, this is a song that every uh, dad band at a bar covers. Huh? Yeah. More than likely. Um, all the slide is Mick, Little Mick, by the way. And it's it. good. Well, it's very Albany. I could have guessed that. Um, this song, I also have in my notes. We'll get to it. But has what I thought was at least the best guitar solo on the album. We will see when we get there. You might be right. Which will lead me into a, another point maybe during the next song.
great horns, man. Yeah, Holy shit. Really good. This to me is an Almond Brothers song. Like it, it has all of the. <laughs> it is pretty Almond Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. like that guitar, like ripping through everything, and even the like Dwayne Almond. Yeah. I was talking about Mick Taylor the other day in reference to the Rolling Stones, and somebody just thought I had forgotten uh, Mick Jagger's last name. Yeah, this is definitely the best solo on the album. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> this dude. is really great. I'm impressed that anybody, like, I hope to God he recorded that one in the basement and not in the studio, because to me, that is so impressive. Yeah. Like, just yeah. fucking ripping it up on that. No. What did you say? Sorry about the Mick Taylor, Mick Jagger thing. Oh, uh, the other day I was talking about Mick Taylor in, re- like, uh, and about the Rolling Stones, and somebody thought just thought I had forgotten Mick Jagger's last oh. name. <laughs> That's pretty funny, yeah. Well, I guess for a more casual Stones fan, maybe, he might be the one you'd forget, because he's with the band the shortest amount of time? Yeah. Between Brian Jones and then Ron Wood, right? Or no? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, like, if you're going to forget one of their guitarists. <laughs> That's but true. That's pretty great. But how could you forget Mick? Taylor, baby. Lil Mick, fucking killing it. Alright, stop breaking down. A Robert Johnson cover. I did not know that. I, uh... I kept wondering where I'd heard this song before. I was like, god damn, I know this. Like, someone else must have played it. Uh, It's on the White Stripes' first album. Yeah. That's the version that kept popping into my head for some reason when this came on. And I thought they had been covering the Rolling Stones this whole time. Ha! Huh. Yeah, there you go. Um, this song is actually really good, but it's like almost five minutes long, and we don't need it to be that long. It can be like two and a half, man. Yeah. Cut that shit down. It is a really Especially because there's not very impressive like guitar on it. If there was some great guitar solo... But there's not. It's kind of just like an instrumental blues tune. Or just a kind of standard blues tune for five minutes. Yeah, I think if they had put, like, some kick-ass slide on this song, though, it would have just been an Almond Brothers album. You can't have two songs in a row where that's, like, the main yeah, possibly. shit. Yeah. So, it's good, but they could have cut this cut this down for sure. Yeah. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to go to Shine a Light. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so this one actually, apparently Mick started working on back in 1968 and, uh, wrote it with Leon Russell, who I think, awesome. yeah, I'm forgetting now. I think Leon Russell showed up on Baker's Banquet maybe is how I think so. Happened. Yeah. Um, 
so he started writing this with Leon Russell, and originally it was about Brian Jones being addicted and not being, you know, whatever. Yeah. Being around anymore, or not being kind of part of the band anymore. Uh, and there is apparently a version recorded for a Leon Russell album, but it ended up not being released. Huh. So, yeah. Then they, they brought it back for this one. Uh, I, is this the one with Billy Preston? I think it is. Yeah, that's what you were saying earlier. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like Billy Preston, so that makes perfect sense. Yes, it is. Uh, there's not many piano players that I could like pick out like in a <laughs> yeah. mix. Billy Preston's one of them. Um, this is very good. It's such a good song. <laughs> I don't know if that's sounds like just a weird obvious. This is very good. Yeah. But it is. It's great. And like like all the instrumentation on this is so good. Yeah. And the drums on it. Like Yeah. That fill. Yeah. Some good percussion. Yeah. I kind of feel like Charlie Oh, Shine a Light is one where he's not credited. I was gonna say, I feel like he wasn't credited. Who played Jimmy Miller, their producer who jumped in on um, You Can't Always Get What You Want to play drums. Yeah. He played drums on Happy and Shine a Light. Okay. Instead of Charlie. Yeah. Do you think so as this a is Jimmy Miller a band, you get nice production? Like, if that's the one thing you do, like if you're a Ringo or if you're a Charlie, you don't do much I else. Mean, do you get pissed when somebody else takes your, like, yeah. song? Poor Bill is like credited with only playing bass on like half these songs and he maintains that it's incorrect he's like no i was definitely there playing on more songs than that yeah but he also gets like kicked out a lot i feel like where he's like just let me play yeah. bass on this one i and mean then like Mick taylor's weirdly credited with playing bass on a few songs uh like he played on fucking sympathy for the devil which is like yeah. a relatively easy bass line but like right it seems like a little bit more, especially in this era of the Stones, where they're like, it seems like it's more about just who's around, like, kind of, like, yeah, you know, if they get in a mood to, like, let's finish Shine a Light, let's do it, and they're like, well, Charlie's not here, it's like, it's fine, we'll find someone to play drums, yeah. you know, Jimmy, like, they fun. just don't, yeah, yeah, they don't care as much, and then also Bill, I think, had, had a quote that I read somewhere about recording this album he's like there was a pretty big gulf between the producers and musicians who were doing a lot of drugs at the time and the ones who weren't like charlie bill and then mick to some degree weren't doing nearly as many drugs and then like keith little mick and i think their producer i forget or is someone else who are doing a, and like nikki hopkins i think who are doing like a lot of drugs the whole time and so they just, you know, they might have just been recording at different times and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, this the outro to this song is amazing. Let's just turn that it's up good. for a second. You know, after this podcast... I wonder... Oh, go ahead. Mick Taylor probably is up within the top five of my favorite guitarists of all time. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I wonder who's playing guitar there, and then was like, it's got to be Little Mick, it's right? It sounded Little like Holman's again. <laughs> Soul right. Survivor. Soul Survivor. 
this I song like this is song. solid. Yeah, it's not like incredible. I wouldn't say, but it's a I solid tune. I would have switched Soul Survivor and Shine a Light. I would have ended out on Shine a Light. Yeah, that would that make more sense. Um, but this is a good song. Um, yeah, I think it probably gets overshadowed because of all the other songs on it. But I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, between this Shine a Light, Let It Loose. And then, like, kind of tumble in dice. I feel like they have, like, these four songs all in a theme that are all, like, gospel-y, ballad-y, yeah. like, rock ballad kind of songs. And they just all sound very similar to me. And I feel like, even though Soul Survivor isn't bad, it's like you're at the fourth one on the album. So you're like, okay, we, we got it. Yeah. Like, you can do this. <laughs> we understand. I could, I could hear that, yeah. They only really needed probably two, maybe three, you know. Um, yeah. So... Soul Survivor just kind of gets gets the short end of the stick. Yeah. All right, and that has been Exile on Main Street. Yeah. That's it. Holy shit, Exile. Holy shit, Exile. Yeah. Pete, I would be doing the fans a disservice if I went first in rating this <laughs> album. Okay. I think you got to go first, bud. I was... I almost didn't start listening to this album. I was like, I could use a break from the Rolling Stones for a couple days maybe, and then thought better of it and went for it like right after we finished recording basically Sticky Fingers. Um, The first like, the first disc of this album at the very least was the most excited I'd been listening to the Rolling Stones since Aftermath, I would say is the most equivalent. Yeah experience of just like holy shit what a like what a jump basically from the last album to this one at least in terms of my enjoyment listening um it is incredible yeah i just like i was just like excited and happy all through the first disc every time i would listen to it um i love the mix on it i love the mix of everything kind of being like equally together and then occasionally something will pop out i think i kind of feel like that's what makes the saxophone work for me is like all the horns being just in the mix the whole time and then it just suddenly like jumps up and then goes back down when it has a little solo or riff or something yeah um i think the songwriting is really excellent one thing that is i would say a pretty serious hit on this album considering it's a rolling stones album with keith and mick taylor on it the guitar is not memorable I wouldn't say there's a lot of like there's a lot of I would call like rhythm guitar riffs like there's a lot of definitely good guitar work but it all seems like it's in service of like being good rhythm guitar as opposed to a song Um, like there were there were only like three guitar solos on this album and only like one of them I would say was really amazing see I really like that's a that was a hard thing after a while i really like the rhythm guitar like um i guess riffs you'd say like at the beginning of um sweet virginia let me just play that for a second i really love this kind of guitar playing um Mm -hmm. because i really like old country music um and i so i really like love that and i also really like when it's just like really fucking ripping solos um, and yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it, it would have been super cool to hear that, but I think it's a really fucking good album. 
Yeah, I guess, like, it's just hard to get away from with the Stones. I just, I feel like on every album so far, it just feels like there's something kind of missing. And on this one, for me, it is like, for how great their guitars have been in the last few albums, it's like, it just feels like a little disappointing that we didn't get a, like, can't you hear me knocking style, like, great, great riff on this, you know, song, or, or great guitar song. But, That's like saying there yeah, are uh, not enough surf songs on Pet Sounds. Yes, PJ, you're so correct. I agree. Um, <laughs> so, but this album is really great. I, you know, when we go track by track, I don't dislike the second disc as much as I do listening to it. Yeah. But I have to say, it's a it's it's actually not a long double album. It's only about 65 minutes long, I think. Yeah. But it's 67 minutes long, which is pretty short. It feels like a long album to me to listen to all in one sitting. Like by the time I'm about, by the time we get to like, I just can't, I just want to see his face. I'm feeling done with this album usually. So I can't help but feel like, especially when it's only at 67 minutes, there just has to be a way this could have been a longer single disc album and it would have been ab- actually like a- every single song was perfect on it. Hmm. And like, I know I think like they wanted to do the double album. It was definitely a thing in the early seventies here for artists to start doing double albums and get a little more sprawling and experimental. I don't even like, I don't, dislike that it's a double album and i don't think i'm even gonna do like a single disc version to listen to honestly i want to kind of listen to this the way it was just just in case i'm missing something but it does kind of have that feeling to me like it feels like there's just just enough filler songs that they could have cut it down especially when it's pretty short for a double double record all that being said (sighs) <sighs> do i give it an eight or a nine? <laughs> oh, are you fucking kidding me nine you give it a nine it's definitely not a 10 for me just because i think the i think the length is the part that makes it not a 10 for me like it's just it just starts dragging a little bit towards the end especially on the second disc when you have let it loose shine a light and soul survivor that are all good but are all kind of the same song to my ears it's tough you're killing me man so you know what honestly even though the first disc objectively has some songs that aren't quite as good i feel like the first disc i might give a 10 to if it was like if that was the album but the second disc is yeah it's tough so i'll go ahead and go nine i'm giving it a 10 i yeah like listening to every single song on this album in this order there was one thing yep. I said I would have changed. I would have switched Shine a Light and Soul Survivor, but yeah. I still love this album. I will go back and listen to this album fucking any day of the week. I think it's great. It is. It's really excellent. I mean, it's it's definitely their best album so far, I would say, or at least, you know, the one that I like the most. Hmm. Um and honestly, especially that first disc, I will probably will probably be my most listened to Rolling Stones thing for a while at least. That's good. Um yeah, I found it really interesting. One more thing before we go here. The Rolling Stone review from 
spring of 72 for this album um is really interesting did we talk on sticky fingers about the rolling stone review of that album i think we might have okay well maybe just a recap i don't i don't remember but the rolling stone review of that album they hated it the rolling stones or the rolling stone magazine not the band yeah. the rolling stone magazine was really hard on the stones during this era actually and it was weird because like in their reviews they would reference it being like people say this is like their greatest like the some of the greatest albums in rock coming out and they'd be like, they are, they're really great. And then they'd go on to write like five paragraphs about why the album kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um. So for Sticky Fingers, they, whatever reviewer wrote that was like, it's really, it's too calculated. Like the Rolling Stones are being like, you can just tell that they tried so hard to make like a perfect rock and roll album and it hurts the album, which I don't really agree with. But their review for Exile was like, you know they did the opposite like they got they stopped doing the perfection thing um but then they were like yeah we just it still feels like basically the thing in the review that made me was like damn that's crazy that they are it's my opinion exactly almost as we're going through the rolling stones is they're like the rolling stones have like yet to like actually put all of the like the potential together into a perfect album that they have. Mm -hmm. Like they keep getting almost there, but then they'll like leave something out or they get almost there, but like the production's weird or whatever. Uh, And then the quote that I wrote down from it was, I still think that the great stones album of their mature period is yet to come, which in hindsight, I mean, we'll see how goat's head soup goes, but I think we know after that it, their great album is not going to (laughs) happen. So, like, it's just really funny that at the time they were like, yeah, it's good, but, like, they can get better. And I kind of feel like that's how I've been feeling about the Rolling Stones. Is, like, they keep almost getting to, like, that perfect moment or that perfect album. And then they just do a thing or a couple things or just have a couple dud songs that make it not not quite what they can be. And that's where I disagree. It's so tantalizing. Because I think this album is perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I hear you. I just think it, I just think it starts to drag. Well, Pete, uh, I'm really glad that you finally got to listen to Exile. Yeah, and you enjoyed it as much as you did. That's great. I did. It's yeah, the most I've enjoyed a Rolling Stones album, which is saying something, PJ, because it's been a crazy ride along these waves, man. It has, and yeah. I just hope i can see you on the other side of that mossy no not mossy stone that is rolling along oh yeah it's been roll it's rolling like crazy right now it's it stopped there for a little bit but now it's rolling and it's not gonna stop for a while no this is this is its peak rolling all right pete i'll see you on the other side of that wave see you then pj there See you there, PJ.
A Beach Boys Boys production.